Part Two, Chapter Twenty Four of Burning Daylight by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three days later, Daylight rode to Berkeley in his red car. It was for the last time, for on the morrow, the big machine passed into another's possession. It had been a strenuous three days, for his smash had been the biggest the panic had precipitated in California. The papers had been filled with it, and a great cry of indignation had gone up from the very men, who later found that daylight had fully protected their interests. It was these facts coming slowly to light that gave rise to the widely repeated charge that daylight had gone insane. It was the unanimous conviction among businessmen that no sane man could possibly behave in such fashion. On the other hand, neither his prolonged steady drinking nor his affair with Dede became public, so the only conclusion attainable was that the wild financier from Alaska had gone lunatic. And Daylight had grinned and confirmed the suspicion by refusing to see the reporters. He halted the automobile before Dede's door and met her with his same rushing tactics, enclosing her in his arms before a word could be uttered. Not until afterward, when she had recovered herself from him and got him seated, did he begin to speak. I've done it, he announced. You've seen the newspapers, of course. I'm plumb cleaned out, and I've just called around to find out what day you feel like starting for Glen Ellen. It'll have to be soon, for it's real expensive living in Oakland these days. My board at the hotel is only paid to the end of the week, and I can't afford to stay after that. And beginning with tomorrow, I've got to use the streetcars, and they sure eat up the nickels. He paused and waited and looked at her. Indecision and trouble showed on her face. Then the smile he knew so well began to grow on her lips and in her eyes, until she threw back her head and laughed in the old, forthright, boyish way. "'When are those men coming to pack for me?' she asked. And again she laughed and simulated a vain attempt to escape his bear-like arms. "'Dear Elam,' she whispered, "'Dear Elam.' And of herself, for the first time, she kissed him. She ran her hand caressingly through his hair. "'Your eyes are all gold right now,' he said. "'I can look in them and tell just how much you love me.' "'They have been all gold for you, Elam, for a long time, I think. On our little ranch they will always be all gold. Your hair has gold in it, too, a sort of fiery gold.' He turned her face suddenly and held it between his hands and looked long into her eyes. And your eyes were full of gold only the other day, when you said you wouldn't marry me. She nodded and laughed. You would have your will, she confessed, but I couldn't be a party to such madness. All that money was yours, not mine. But I was loving you all the time, Elam, for the great big boy you are, breaking the thirty million toy with which you had grown tired of playing. And when I said no, I knew all the time it was yes, and I'm sure that my eyes were golden all the time. I had only one fear, and that was that you would fail to lose everything. Because, dear, I knew I should marry you anyway, 
and I did so want just you and the ranch and Bob and Wolf and those horsehair bridles. Shall I tell you a secret? As soon as you left, I telephoned the man to whom I sold Mab. She hid her face against his breast for an instant and then looked at him again, gladly radiant. You see, Elam, in spite of what my lips said, my mind was made up then. I, I simply had to marry you, but I was praying you would succeed in losing everything, and so I tried to find what had become of Mab. But the man had sold her and did not know what had become of her. You see, I wanted to ride with you over the Glen Ellen Hills, on Mab and you on Bob, just as I had ridden with you through the Piedmont Hills. The disclosure of Mab's whereabouts trembled on Daylight's lips, but he forbore. I'll promise you a mare that you'll like just as much as Mab, he said. But Dede shook her head, and on that one point refused to be comforted. Now I've got an idea, Daylight said, hastening to get the conversation on less perilous ground. We're running away from cities, and you have no kith nor kin, so it don't seem exactly right that we should start off by getting married in a city. So here's the idea. I'll run up to the ranch and get things in shape around the house and give the caretaker his walking papers. You follow me in a couple of days, coming up on the morning train. I'll have the preacher fixed and waiting. And here's another idea. You bring your riding togs in a suitcase, and as soon as the ceremony's over, you can go to the hotel and change. Then out you come, and you'll find me waiting with a couple of horses, and we'll ride over the landscape so you can see the prettiest parts of the ranch the first thing. And she's sure pretty, that ranch. And now that it's settled, I'll be waiting for you at the morning train, day after tomorrow. Dee Dee blushed as she spoke. You're such a hurricane. Well, ma'am, he drawled, I sure hate to burn daylight, and you and I have burned a heap of daylight. We've been scandalously extravagant. We might have been married years ago. Two days later, daylight stood waiting outside the little Glen Ellen Hotel. The ceremony was over, and he had left Dee Dee to go inside and change into her riding habit while he brought the horses. He held them now, Bob and Mab, and in the shadow of the watering trough, Wolf lay and looked on. Already two days of ardent California sun had touched with new fires the ancient bronze in Daylight's face. But warmer still was the glow that came into his cheeks and burned in his eyes as he saw Dee Dee coming out of the door, riding whip in hand, clad in the familiar corduroy skirt and leggings of the old Piedmont days. There was warmth and glow in her own face as she answered his gaze and glanced on past him to the horses. Then she saw Mab, but her gaze leaped back to the man. Oh, Elam, she breathed. It was almost a prayer, but a prayer that included a thousand meanings. Daylight strove to feign sheepishness, but his heart was singing too wild a song for mere playfulness. All things had been in the naming of his name. Reproach, refined away by gratitude, 
and all compounded of joy and love. She stepped forward and caressed the mare, and again turned and looked at the man, and breathed, Oh, Elam! And all that was in her voice was in her eyes, and in them daylight glimpsed a profundity deeper and wider than any speech or thought. The whole vast inarticulate mystery and wonder of sex and love. Again he strove for playfulness of speech, but it was too great a moment for even love fractiousness to enter in. Neither spoke. She gathered the reins, and bending, daylight received her foot in his hand. She sprang as he lifted and gained the saddle. The next moment he was mounted and beside her, and with Wolf sliding along ahead in his typical wolf trot, they went up the hill that led out of town, two lovers on two chestnut sorrel steeds riding out and away to honeymoon through the warm summer day. Daylight felt himself drunken as with wine. He was at the topmost pinnacle of life. Higher than this, no man could climb, nor had ever climbed. It was his day of days, his love time, and his mating time, and all crowned by this virginal possession of a mate who had said, O oh, Elam, as she had said it, and looked at him out of her soul as she had looked. They cleared the crest of the hill, and he watched the joy mount in her face as she gazed on the sweet, fresh land. He pointed out the group of heavily wooded knolls across the rolling stretches of ripe rain. They're ours, he said, and they're only a sample of the ranch. Wait till you see the big canyon. There are coons down there, and back here on the Sonoma there are mink, and deer, why the mountains sure thick with them and I reckon we can scare up a mountain lion, if we want to, real hard. And say there's a little meadow. Well, I ain't going to tell you another word. You wait and see for yourself. They turned in at the gate, where the road to the clay pit crossed the fields, and both sniffed with delight as the warm aroma of the ripe hay rose in their nostrils. As on his first visit, the larks were uttering their rich notes and fluttering up before the horses, until the woods and the flower-scattered glades were reached, when the larks gave way to blue jays and woodpeckers. We're on our land now, he said, as they left the hayfield behind. It runs right across country over the roughest parts. Just you wait and see. As on the first day, he turned aside from the clay pit and worked through the woods to the left passing the first spring and jumping the horses over the ruined remnants of the stake and rider fence. From here on, Dede was in an unending ecstasy. By the spring that gurgled among the redwoods grew another great wild lily, bearing on its slender stalk the prodigious outburst of white waxen bells. This time he did not dismount, but led the way to the deep canyon, where the stream had cut a passage among the knolls. He had been at work here, and a steep and slippery horse trail now crossed the creek. So they rode up beyond, through the somber redwood twilight, and, farther on, through a tangled wood of oak and madrono. 
They came to a small clearing of several acres, where the grain stood waist-high. Ours, Daylight said. She bent in her saddle, plucked at a stalk of the ripe grain, and nibbled it between her teeth. Sweet mountain hay, she cried, the kind Mab likes. And throughout the ride she continued to utter cries and ejaculations of surprise and delight. And you never told me all this, she reproached him, as they looked across the little clearing and over the descending slopes of woods to the great curving sweep of Sonoma Valley. Come, he said, and they turned and went back through the forest shade, crossed the stream, and came to the lily by the spring. Here also, where the way led up the tangle of the steep hill, he had cut a rough horse trail. As they forced their way up the zigzags, they caught glimpses out and down through the sea of foliage. Yet always were their farthest glimpses stopped by the closing vistas of green, and yet always, as they climbed, did the forest roof arch overhead, with only here and there rifts that permitted shattered shafts of sunlight to penetrate, and all about them were ferns, a score of varieties, from the tiny goldbacks and maidenhair to huge brakes six and eight feet tall. Below them, as they mounted, they glimpsed great gnarled trunks and branches of ancient trees, and above them were similar great gnarled branches. Didi stopped her horse and sighed with the beauty of it all. It's as if we are swimmers, she said, rising out of a deep pool of green tranquility. Up above is the sky and the sun, but this is a pool, and we are phantoms deep. They started their horses, but a dog-toothed violet, shouldering amongst the maiden hair, caught her eye and made her rein in again. They cleared the crest and emerged from the pool as if into another world, for now they were in the thicket of velvet-trunked young madronos, and looking down the open, sun-washed hillside, across the nodding grasses, to the drifts of blue and white nemophilia that carpeted the tiny meadow on either side of the tiny stream. Didi clapped her hands. It's sure prettier than office furniture, Daylight remarked. It sure is, she answered. And Daylight, who knew his weakness in the use of that particular word, sure, knew that she had repeated it deliberately and with love. They crossed the stream and took the cattle track over the low rocky hill and through the scrub forest of Manzanita till they emerged on the next tiny valley with its meadow-bordered streamlet. If we don't run into some quail pretty soon, I'll be surprised some, Daylight said. And as the words left his lips, there was a wild series of explosive thrummings as the old quail arose from all about Wolf, while the younger ones scuttled for safety and disappeared miraculously before the spectator's very eyes. He showed her the hawk's nest he had found in the lightning-shattered top of the redwood and she discovered a wood-rat's nest, which she had not seen before. Next they took the old wood road and came out on the dozen acres of clearing where the wine-grapes grew in the wine-colored volcanic soil. 
Then they followed the cow path through more woods and thickets and scattered glades, and dropped down the hillside to where the farmhouse, poised on the lip of the big canyon, came into view only when they were right upon it. Dede stood on the wide porch that ran the length of the house, while daylight tied the horses. To Dede it was very quiet. It was the dry, warm, breathless calm of California midday. All the world seemed dozing. From somewhere pigeons were cooing lazily. With a deep sigh of satisfaction, Wolf, who had drunk his fill at all the streams along the way, dropped down in the cool shadow of the porch. She heard the footsteps of daylight returning and caught her breath with a quick intake. He took her hand in his, and as he turned the doorknob, felt her hesitate. Then he put his arm around her. The door swung open, and together they passed in. End of Part 2 Chapter 24